You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 392. I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. How's it going? It is going fine. Nothing Good. remarkable to... Re- well, here's a little bit of technology. I had to replace my uh, razor. I have an okay. electric razor. You know, the shaving your face razors. Yeah. Yeah. I had, repla- I had to replace mine this week. You know, it's the little things in life that you don't think about going bad until they go bad. You know what I mean? I mean, a, a, an electric razor is kind of a personal thing. Yeah. You know, it's the thing that you use for me in the morning and shaving. And, you know, I, I've had the same one for, I don't know, a, lo- a long time. Yeah. Um, but I noticed it was getting a little weaker. It wasn't keeping its charge. Yeah. Now, my old one, I could keep plugged in and shave, but that's kind of annoying. It had one of those spiral cords on it. They all have, or well, they all used to have anyway. Yes. One of those twisted cords, yeah, which is just like using a phone cord. Exactly. exactly. It's apparently designed to just get in your way as much as possible. Oh, I have, yes. I'm, I, I don't understand the, the point of the... I get that, okay, it take, maybe it takes less space. Not really, though. Um, <clears throat> what What is the history of the spiral cord? Why I, did I, they do I, that? I always presumed it was to stop it getting tangled. That's what I thought, too, but... I don't know. It seems like a dumb idea. Yep. Because you, they get stretched out. They look terrible. Um, but regardless, my, my old shaver got to the point where the razor heads itself, the screen, um, was wearing out. And then, I think it was Monday, I went to shave and it literally felt like a bunch of needles were jabbing me. And, and, it, and, cut, and it cut me. And I was like, okay. So- so here's always the problem, because you can normally buy replacement screens, yes. but the issue we, we all have is that, we, just like you say, we keep our razors for so long before we need to do that, that when you come to do it, it's like, well, you've got no chance of finding spare parts for that model, because it's been superseded about 20 years ago. Exactly. Well, I could still get the 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 screen itself, you know, the head. They still made it, because I had a pretty popular one. Um, it was a Remington. And... I just thought, you know what, it's kind of, I think it's time for a change. Because, yeah. again, it, it, it was like 10 years old. And literally the last one I had that I just got rid of, I think it was the second electric shaver I've ever had. The first one lasted forever. I did replace the heads. Um, but about a decade or so ago, when those heads went out, I couldn't find new ones anywhere. I even looked on eBay. Just nobody had yeah. them. And it was so old. Here's the problem. I had worn off the manufacturer's name. It, it right. didn't have any text on it, so I, I really couldn't remember who made it. Yeah, I found ones that look similar, but unless it's 100% accurate, you're, it's good luck. Hmm. So yeah. I bought this one, and of course it died. Could replace the heads, but like I said, the battery was getting weak and weak and just wouldn't hold a charge very good. So I took the plunge and got a new one. So what, which got, one did you get? I got the Philips Norelco Shaver 6800. It's one of those ones that have the three round heads on top of it. Yeah. I've never had one of those before. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had... My brother used to work for Philips, so for a while I always got um, Philips stuff. Normally free through him. Uh, I've, I've seen this one around. This one is meant to be pretty good. Um, I, yeah, Wet or you know, dry some, shave. Yeah. Well, they're all kind of like that nowadays. I mean, yeah. it's amazing how much they have moved on. Um, you know, uh, the the rotary shavers are, are, are good if, you, if you've got the sort of face, I find, where you can get everything, get it, get the rotors into the corners. I, I, and uh, I do. I've got go. that kind of face. Yeah. And my hair is not really coarse. I've got kind of yeah. uh, soft, soft kind of facial hair. I'm not a hairy person. Yeah. You probably have more hair on your face than I have the rest of my body. <laughs> there's, yes, there's, there's two images we don't want to think about. Yes. 
I agree. Apologies, listeners. Um, um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I have a, I have a mixed history with electric razors because I always think you should. I always would prefer to use an electric razor. I think it's better for the environment. Um, it's a little bit more convenient, all of that. But, but I find that I really love the feel of a wet shave. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's very diff. Even with the modern ones, it's very difficult with an electric razor to get that you know, literally not feel any hairs at all feel. And if you're not careful with an electric, I find that you um, spend so much time working away the electric to try and get the feel you want, you kind of might as well have done the wet shave in the first place. Well, um, I, 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 I can't use a straight razor even with a wet shave because it, right. it seems to really irritate my skin. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's it, what I bought. Is this one of these ones where they have a fancy thing you stick it into to clean it? No, it's not. No. I purposely didn't get one of those. I also purposely didn't get one that used a USB charger to charge it up because I think well, yeah. those That's are pointless. junk. Yes. So yeah. um so so I have a I have a brawn one that um has the charging station. Uh I I wouldn't really recommend the charging uh, the the charging a cleaning station. I thought when uh, this was bought for me for a gift. I thought when when I first set this thing up for a start the the cleaning stations they use uh like a refill uh, like a cartridge so you've right. got an additional you've got an additional um you know consumable to buy but i also i assumed that the, the razor would know when it needs cleaning and would ask you to clean it no basically what it does is when you when you clean it and it charges it as well the uh the indicator on the razor basically just counts down every day and at the end of the week it wants you to clean again and it'll do that whether you use the shaver or not that's kind of stupid. Stupid. And then as well, I find that um, you put it in the cleaner, uh, and, and basically what the what the thing it has a cleaning program. So it it runs the razor, and it presumably it pumps this fluid round the head as it does that sure, to try and yep. get rid of all the hairs. Yeah, I, I find with mine that you, that it does that, and it takes about half an hour. I mean, it's not a quick thing. And you come back after half an hour, and it says it's finished. And you pick the razor up, and uh, as soon as you pick it up, first, first of all, it's it's wet, yeah, it, with alcohol, uh, yeah. And secondly, it's still got hair all over it. <laughs> so it didn't clean anything. It sounds like so it's more it's, of a so, lubrication type of. Well, maybe, but you know, yeah, I've, I basically I've come to the conclusion that it's easy just to pull the thing off because it's a wet dry one. Pull the thing right. off and run it under hot water every day, and that cleans it far better than this fancy cleaning yep. station ever does. Yep. <laughs> I uh, I had the spray that I think I I must have bought at the same time I bought my original or my second razor, the one that lasted a decade that I just replaced. This aerosol spray that's for cleaning and lubricating electric razors. Mm-hmm. And the problem I had with it is, well, A, it's an aerosol. And B, when you sprayed it, it did a really good job. It got all the hair out because it's got compressed air in there, too. I yeah. got all the hair out, cleaned it really well, but it stunk so bad. <sighs> yeah, Just, that's what you want in the bathroom. No, no, <laughs> it, it, was, it was bad. So, you know, this one also comes with the little uh, click-on precision beard trimmer type thingy. Yeah. But I've already got one of those, so that's not that big of a deal. But yeah. I don't know. I've used it about three times. Nice, smooth feel afterwards. I'm happy with it. We'll see how it goes. Okay, good. Hopefully yeah, you'll no. get another 10 years out of this one. That's kind of my hope, you know. And plus it's a, Nor- yeah. uh, a Norelco Phillips. I figure it's going to be easy to get parts for it. It was a $100 yeah. razor. I mean, it wasn't too expensive, but it wasn't a cheapie either. And, you know and that's what? the thing. When Proper- you're shopping, you see a $39.99 all the way up to $280. It's like, really? Yeah, what? I know. It's very difficult. And actually, the best razor I've ever owned in terms of the shave it gives me is this little tiny Remington one that I have that's battery powered it had it basically it looks like um, it looks like a, a Gillette Mac 3 shaver if you oh, imagine yeah. that kind sure. of was inflated to turn into an electric razor that's what this thing looks like so it has a, a thin stalk and then a T head at the top and it has uh, a pair of foils on there and it runs off a, a AA battery yeah, and I tell you, this gives me the absolute best shave I've ever had from an electric razor. See, and I'm it, I'm of the mind that when you find one that's so good, I'm the same thing with shoes. Yeah, that you go out and you get three more and put them away. 
Well, I've tried to do that, but you know what? I can't find it anywhere. I yeah. don't know where I got it from, and uh, I'm worried because I can't. I'll never be able to find parts for it. Um, that's what I mean. When topic, you find yeah. the new one, you get it brand new, yeah. and it works that good. That's when but you I, go out and get spares. Yeah, yeah, but Google can't help me. I just can't find it anywhere, and I suspect it's one of those things that they did very briefly and then binned, and it's kind of lost to the the history of technology. Yeah, um, you know. So this was uh, completely uh, off-the-cuff, people. This was not something that Dave and I planned to talk about. But that's kind of how yep. tech fan goes. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, here's the funny part. Our um, wiki trolling section this week is something that I literally went to Wikipedia and hit random article, and this came up, and I was like, ooh, yeah, this is this would be fun to talk about. It's right in our wheelhouse. Yeah, well, and David asked yeah. me before we started trying, why'd you pick that? And I told him, I said, it's the random one that came up. Um, Funny. Anyways, let's uh, let's jump into some of these. Now, David, uh, we did get some feedback this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, first one was uh, Keith Campbell, and he's talking about, you know, our, our wiki trolling last week was about these self-checkout lanes. Yeah. Which we're huge fans of. And he wrote, um, he purposely does not use them. People's job security is affected. Supermarkets make good profit, too. It's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, good. I, I kind of agree with that. You know? Yep. It, I always, When I first saw the very first self-checkout lane, my, immediately thought, my immediate thought was, wow, they're just trying to get rid of employees. Yeah. Um, and unless it's, if it's really busy, those self checkout lanes are just clogged up. They're terrible. And there's no clear lane on half of them, which one you go to, you just kind of queue up around and then you take the next free one. So I, I've never been a huge fan of them. I use them occasionally. Uh, if the store is completely dead, I almost always go through one. Cause if it's dead, I probably just went in for one or two items anyways, but eh, I don't know. It's, it's one yeah. of those things that, eh. Uh, Mick Hamblin uh, also wrote, um, had a, had a self-serve try to double charge something yesterday. Yeah, that's well, an issue. Because because presumably Facebook told him that he'd been compla- told it that you'd be complaining about it online. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, uh... Oh, I'm going to get you. You don't like me, eh? Well... I'm I'm actually uh, jumping ahead here and reading. Yeah. So this is like the third week we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg. (laughs) We kind of commented a couple weeks ago that Steven Spielberg was actively saying he didn't think streaming movies that you watch at home should be eligible for Academy Awards. Because yeah. it doesn't, it's not the pure theater. I designed my films. Films, films, are, films just aren't a story; they're an experience. They have they're to experience. be experienced in the theater, where there's a whole bunch of people opening packages and being loud and ugh, ugh. And here's the thing: I got to go to the theater maybe today, but yeah. probably within the next couple of days because the kids and I—I'll be honest, me too—want uh, to go see Shazam. Yeah, I want to take uh, Alexander's very excited. It, it looks really uh, good. Yeah, I purposely so, uh, have not gone and saw any spoilers. Although, it, I, I'll tell you exactly how the movie goes. Here's how the movie <laughs> goes: He's a kid. Yeah, his parents are killed, or he's orphaned somehow, like that. He goes to an orphanage, gets adopted, but not really adopted, just kind of a foster home. Uh, there's other kids there; they're all kind of strange. One of them's a cripple, because you see that in the thing. He's a crippled kid. So you're like, oh, okay, but he befriends that kid, and he's the smart one. Yeah. The, the, uh, he's the a smart kid. one, but, but he gets he gets bullied by some other kids. He gets bullied, and so this kid's actually kind of tough, so he kind of protects him. And yeah. then uh, because he's kind of the protector of uh, the helpless, if you will, even though I don't like the thought of, oh, he's crippled, so he's helpless. Yeah, that's not true. But regardless, <laughs> yeah. um, I, got a, I, I had a friend who got burnt up 90% of his body when I was a kid. He didn't even have... Uh, fingers. I mean, it was really severe. Uh, he yeah. was one of the toughest kids I've ever known. I saw him get in a fight, and holy crap, that kid was tough. So, yeah. don't don't well, say, oh, they're well, handicapped, they're, had, they're crippled, they're... Yeah, you, know what? you know why? Because when you punch, he had no fingers to get hurt. 
Well, if you're walking around on crutches all day, guess what? You're going to have super strong hands and arms. Exactly. You know? It was, it's, it was a superpower. That is your superpower, absolutely. Yeah. But regardless, okay, fine. He he protects. And then he gets this magical power to protect the universe because this wizard's dying or something. And all of a sudden, he's Shazam. And then they go through the whole thing where he learns his power. And then he meets the big baddie. And then uh, there's a moment of revelation where is he going to be a yeah. good guy? Maybe he could use his power selfishly. Nope, he's, he is a protector. And he beats the bad guy, and that's the end of the movie. Or, or, or alternatively, it looks like he, even with his powers, he can't, he can't win. And he has to dig and deep. Then he, and then he realizes that there is a way for him to win based on his personality and all that. Yes, yeah, right. You know, but it's, it's but it's the thing. kid that on crutches are the ones that kind of, and his new friends and and extended family at the foster home that kind of, you know, gives him the answer he's looking for to beat this person. Well, it sounds like you don't need to go and see it now. I know it looks good though. <laughs> I'm a simple man, David. Um, well, and, and look, I'm with with Spielberg in one expect in one respect. There is no experience quite like watching a movie in a place where your feet kind of stick to the floor when you walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that is. Although I agree, both- I agree with him. I'll push the boat out and say that is a fairly unique experience. You don't get anywhere else. You certainly can't replicate it at home. Not unless I, I, you have Velcro slippers. Exactly. <laughs> I will say, though, that both the theaters here uh, where I live have upgraded in the last couple of years. And they, they use are... They a better, better quality of sugar syrup in the Well, car. they're, they're, they're uh, a durable floor, and they clean them. They have these electronic uh, reclining chairs that are much wider and yeah. very plush leather. Um, the screens have all been updated for digital. The audio has been updated. It is a better experience. If it wasn't yeah. for the other damn people in the theater, it'd be great. Yeah. People suck. Um, so Spielberg was saying reportedly that he didn't think the streaming services should be eligible for Academy Awards. Yeah. Just because of course he did. But then oh, last when we, week, when we, when we, yeah, when we talked about this, we thought this was just a thing he'd said. We right. thought this was, you know, him spouting off on the red carpet or uh, giving an interview or something like that. But no, it's worse than that. So yeah, so last week it came out that oh, he didn't actually say this. Oh, that's not what he meant. That's that yeah. was the news last week because it was almost universal that people were looking yeah. upon his comments with disdain. And he read the tea leaves pretty damn quick. So what he's done this week really kind of proves how serious he was about rolling that back, that statement. Yeah. (laughs) Because what he's done this week is he's, uh, because he's a Steven Spielberg, he's a member of the Academy. And basically he is pitching to the Academy's board of governors, yeah, that um, they should implement a streaming ban. So... (laughs) In other words, almost, he was apparently misinterpreted because nobody realized when he said it that he was actually going to try and make it happen. I think that's what the, oh, he was misunderstood meant, is nobody realized that Stephen really, really meant this. And not only that, he's going to make it happen. So well, it, this well, is it, from Ars Technica, one of my favorite websites yeah. for uh, technology and other stuff. U.S. US antitrust regulators have warned the Academy of Motion Pictures Picture arts and sciences that banning Netflix and other streaming platforms from the Oscars may violate federal competition law. Legendary filmmaker and multiple Oscar winner Steven Spielberg has backed an effort to ban films primarily distributed via streaming platforms from the Academy Awards. Uh huh. So well, here's the thing: we like to think of, at least I do, uh, the Academy Awards is this once-a-year thing where uh, filmmakers self-congratulate each other and pat each other on the back, and they're the ones that vote on which is the best, and it's just like, ugh, you know. I I can't stand the, we're the greatest, and here's the greatest, and I know it's movies, but we're going to make it into a competition to Uh, prove our our worthiness. uh, And 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 I think, you know, anybody who watches the Academy Awards, no matter how what they try and do with it, 
um, it does take itself far too seriously. Oh, it's the pageantry you know? and the dresses yeah. at the beginning, and it's just for me. I I know some people get into it. I really do. I see Facebook and Twitter posts. They a lot of people get into the pageantry. I get it. I understand why the while it's entertaining, it's nauseating to me. I don't care. I really, really don't care. Um, once Star Wars last lost Annie, I lost all interest, and I was only seven. Okay, um, <laughs> not Annie. No. Um, the Woody Allen film doesn't matter. Uh, Annie, Hall, Annie Hall. Annie Hall. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Once he, once Star Wars lost Best Picture, it was meaningless at that point. So regardless, um, this is anti-competitive because if a film wins the Academy Award, that means in especially in home distribution, it's going to sell better. That means that the director is going to make more money in the future. That means the actors who won, say, Best Picture, they're in that movie, or they were the best actor because they were in that movie, whatever. They're all going to make more money. And that's why it's anti-competitive. You can't... Well, uh, yeah. Well, the other thing as well is that, is that in, in some respects, the, the fact that they're going to make more money is kind of neither here nor there. The Sherman Act, which is the primary anti-competitive legislation in in the U.S., yeah, stops. It specifically prohibits competitors banding together to uh, to implement agreements that might harm harm her non-agreeing competitors. Right. Yeah. You, you know, it, it, you're not you're not allowed to do that. Because you are effectively you're stifling competition. You're basically creating an artificial separation between what you market and sell and what somebody else sells. And by colluding, I mean that that is I know collusion's been in the press a lot in in the states and everywhere recently. But that is that is direct um, legal a legal definition of collusion, and it is express, expressly prohibited. This well, is what got Apple a few years ago. Yes, when, with the with the book thing, which we've talked about before, and was stupid because they weren't the major competitor. But the point is, is that Apple and the book publishers got together and signed an agreement to, to say they would control pricing of books a certain way, and that was a violation of the Sherman Act because that action is express, expressly prohibited. Doesn't matter what the effect of it is in some respects. The fact is, you're just not allowed to do it. Yep. And um, the DOJ is saying. To the academy, if you take somebody who competes in the movie industry and you say, "Well, they're not eligible for our awards," that is basically a group of you agreeing to exclude somebody else, and that is anti-competitive. Uh, and um, apparently, uh, the, the the legal the legal view on this is that that would be a watertight case. Yeah, it's so pretty clear cut. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, and the problem is Spielberg is trying to argue that that um, that these Netflix movies are a tele- television format. Yeah, yeah which to him they are a is, TV movie. Right. Well, so it's a, it diminishes it. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to diminish um, somebody else's art. At the end of the day, hey, your yeah. art's not as good as mine because it wasn't on a larger screen. You know what? Uh, maybe that was true back in the seventies to a certain extent. Because, you know, televisions back then just, they had terrible pictures. VHS was terrible. Broadcast was terrible. Compared to yeah. now, we didn't know any better. But I tell you what, we did know better when we went to a theater. We're like, holy moly, it looks so much better in a theater. But now, I get better or as good as resolution here at home watching a movie as I do going to a theater. Well, well, this is the thing. The, the difference back in the day was that movies shot for TV did not to have not did not have the have the same product did not need the same production standards as something that was going to be shown on thirty five millimeter projection in the cinema, right? Uh, and so there was actually a complete disconnect between how TV movies or, or, or stuff made for TV was made versus stuff intended for for the cinema. But and that, we remember yeah, abs- them. We remember letterboxing and stuff like that, and that yeah. when you put it on the television, they had to crop the edges of the photo. Or the picture. But it, it, yeah, but it, in some respects, kind of the format thing is is kind of a canard. It, that that was that wasn't the major differentiation. When you remember when when stuff started to go to HD, yeah, yeah all of a sudden, you know, stuff that had been made for TV, <laughs> even movies yeah. being made for TV, that you could see that that the sets weren't real because right. the the definition was there, and that's because when you're when you're 
making something that should be shown on four, four, 480 or 525 line TV, just there's not enough definition there to exactly. require you to spend the extra money. But, yeah, he. I think the Academy and Steven Spielberg, and I don't want to say it's a whole Academy because we just don't know, but in this case it's definitely Steven Spielberg. Um, yeah. I, I think what he's promoting is anti- competitive it's i well he's yeah, clearly well, well, in violation I, of the sherman act here it is and and even if he, they were to try and push this through and then go to court with the doj over it i think the political fallout the um the consumer fallout from it will be much worse than they anticipate i think yep. they think oh people don't care and you know what people do and i'm yes. pretty sure that movie theaters that all of a sudden perhaps see a certain element of boycotting or people not going to see movies because because of this um are are you know it's going to cause a stink and let's face it given what the academy has been through the last few years with um you know harvey weinberg and me too and then and their attitude to racism and and uh, racial presentation on screen they don't really need another another big stink right now no steven spielberg so, kind of put them in this situation i'm sure they're not happy about well, it well they should they should sit on him you know they should I, and um, and you know steven makes good movies but come on man Really? Yeah. Stop taking yourself and your little academy so damn serious. I understand your uh, business. Of course, you're going to be serious about but yeah. but don't be a dick. Uh, especially At the end of the day, that's uh, what it is. Especially as he's quite happy to take Apple's money to, to do amazing stories on Apple's new streaming service. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, at the end of the day, I think people care about this because they see someone being a dick. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're being a dick. Um. You know, I realize we got some uh, feedback that we didn't read. I forgot to put in the notes from our buddy, Brandon. Brendan, sorry. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, he sent a couple of emails. Did he? Yeah. Uh, maybe sent to you, not to me. Uh, well, that could be. I don't blame him there. Well, well yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, should, I should receive everything. Maybe I just missed them. That's probably well, the most likely him. explanation is that I missed them because I wasn't paying attention. Um. Yeah, we got them on August fifth. Two of them <laughs> on August fifth. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah, this this might not be accurate on my email. <laughs> what do you want about man? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that wasn't the one. I'm pretty sure we got one from Brandon. Yeah, well, uh, my, I'm not seeing my email acting weird. Maybe, maybe I dreamt it. It could have been. Uh, have you know what? I see them here. They've gone straight to my junk folder. That is not cool. That's not cool at all. That's that. I blame Microsoft for that because I'm on that. That's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have them here. Okay. So I'm going to read them. To awesome. the fact that the fact that I haven't looked at them is my fault, um, and Microsoft's fault. So. Mostly uh, Brenda says. <laughs> Brenda says, like David, I object to self-checkout on principle. We knew that he, this was going to be his view. Shocker. Yeah, but but you know what? He always he always has good arguments, so let's go for he this. Does. This practice started in the UK back in the 1970s when petrol stations went self-service. Um, but the contagion has really taken off in recent years. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can kind of live with self-service petrol, but... You know. Anyway, why should I be forced to learn somebody else's job, do somebody else's job unpaid, and thereby put somebody else out of a job for the sole benefit of the self-serving, cost-cutting merchandiser? Screw that! Both on practical, false learning grounds and on principle. I have therefore never used a self supermarket self-checkout and never will. Well, when I, think, I think he's a hardcore Republican, isn't he? I could tell. We, we don't really have Republicans here. Yeah, I know. We have conservatives, yes, but not he, he's a, he, yeah, he, he's a hardcore conservative. See, so a, a Republican would, would <laughs> a Republican would say that um, would say that this uh, that this improves profits and therefore via the trickle down principle yes, is better the, for everybody. Right, yeah. that's why I said joking. <laughs> yeah. 
My response, if I wanted to check out groceries, I could apply for a job as checkout operator. I don't and I won't. Yeah, but the flaw in that plan, Brendan, is that if you have a job as a checkout operator, you don't get to keep the groceries you check out. You have to give them to somebody else. You have to give them to someone else, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I am amazed at the willingness of so many people to fall for this antisocial money-gouging job destruction. Reminds me of the H.L. Mencken, a true hero quote, nobody ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. Ditto UK public... Sad but true. Yes, yep. I think I, it, I think I should get rid of the American and just put public. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's the same everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, I remember. I remember hearing a report on Radio Four. That's the BBC. That Morrison's in the UK were removing self-service and installing a thousand staff tills. Well, that's good. The supermarket's new boss, David Potts, revealed 96% of his customers' preferred staff checkouts that they have someone to chat to, while two-thirds of shoppers are worried they will hold up queues in stores. they wait for staff to override machines spouting yep. warnings or being unable to scan a product. Oh, how many so, times yeah, have I'm, you gone through self-checkout and had to turn around to the person behind you and go, sorry? Yeah, exactly. The, the there super is a thing large, doesn't recognize bananas, sorry. There is a large... Enormously popular Morrisons in the town where I live. Alas, it is the opposite end of town. I don't own a two-ton pollution death machine. I cycle there when I can. <laughs> and it's a far superior, much more pleasant experience than the nearer local Tesco's plus no soul service. You know what, Brendan? That one took a turn at the end that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> but you Again, know what? Chucker. All good points. Um, he also said... Uh, he, he also talked about Apple Credit. We talked about the Apple Credit Card. Yep, yep. He said, allow me to suggest you download the free Kindle sample of the introductions to the book Makers and Takers, How Wall Street Destroyed Main Street. A few quotes. It wasn't the way Steve Jobs would have done it. In the spring of 2013, Jobs' successor as CEO of Apple decided the company needed to borrow $17 billion. Yes, borrow. This was never the Steve Jobs way. Job focused relentlessly on creating irresistible, life-changing products that money fo- would follow. By contrast, Cook placed close attention to the money and to increasingly sophisticated manipulations of money. Apple now spends a large amount of its time and effort thinking about how to make more money via financial engineering rather than by the old-fashioned kind. The I business agree. of America, yeah, the business of America isn't business anymore; it's finance. Worse, well, it's been finan- finance for a long time. Yeah. I, I, but I think I think what probably ticks Brendan off is that you know the, here in the UK we always used to be slightly different to that, but we are now becoming very much more like that. Yeah. Um, my, my issue is exactly what he said. Apple isn't yeah. innovating any products anymore. Now it's services. It's building upon what they've already done, which is fine. I do want good services, but now they're doing it to. Let's just talk about for a second the keyboards on the MacBooks that everyone yeah. is just livid about. This is a prime example. So they have this huge PR problem. These keyboards are junk. They're breaking all the time. Um, it's all over the news. Apple comes out to redesign. Hey, we fixed the problem. Actually, you didn't. It's exactly did. almost the same. People are still upset. And instead of addressing this, instead of just even going back to the keyboards they used to have that people love so much, no, they're going to stick to their guns. They're going to keep this crappy keyboard. And what's this whole presentation that they do about some streaming service that you don't even do this pricing on? And it's an also yeah. ran before it even launches uh, a credit card. Really? That's the big innovation. A credit card. Are you kidding me? So they're not innovating anything and they're not even going back and correcting the mistakes from actual shipping products they're not doing what they should be doing this keyboard problem would not have been an issue and i can't i hate tarpening on this because the guy is dead and it's really not fair to compare what the current leadership's doing compared to what they would have done if steve jobs was alive. that's not fair but i can't help it steve jobs never would have allowed this keyboard problem to exist never no he, he he may have behaved in much the same way when it first came up he may have ignored it for 12 months or may have yep. said well let's see what the what the um, returns will look like and what the maintenance thing of it. But you know what? Ultimately, he would have said, uh, and I think Apple has tried to say, you know what? This is too much in the public eye. We need to do something about this. But the problem is their approach to it has been lackadaisical at best. They put a, a rubber thing under the keyboard and they had a, a keyboard replacement program. Yep. The problem is the rubber thing doesn't work right? Um, it, because people are still complaining about about this keyboard. And, and for everybody who uh, for everybody who says, oh, well, you know, it's only a few loud people on the internet, the point is, is that 
for 20 years, Apple made laptops, and nobody was complaining on the internet about their keyboards not working. Yeah. Well, it's so not a bunch of loud people. In, in yeah. fact, uh, I just read an article that there was this um, event happening, and it was mostly Mac users, and a whole bunch of people had MacBooks. And so whoever was up there speaking just on a whim asked, how, how many people are having this keyboard issue? And a quarter of the people raised their hand. Yeah. A quarter. Exactly. And, and you know, you can complain about anecdata and say that, it you know, it's not it's not, tr- it's not fair. It's, the point is, if even one person is finding this problem, it's one thing. But if more than one person is finding this problem on a regular basis, and some people have been through the Apple Store three, four times on this, each yeah. time the computer disappears for a week... Yeah, you're spending up to two and a half, three thousand dollars on a computer, and you find it can't do a simple. I mean, a key, there's no other computer in the industry. There's no other computer in the industry where you are having the sort of problems with the keyboard that means that the computer's got to disappear for a week to be repaired. It, yeah? It's 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 unacceptable. It really is. And Apple is. used to have. I've got this uh, 17-inch MacBook Pro sitting over here. It's got one of the best keyboards ever made. Yeah, it's not an attractive keyboard. Let's let's be honest. They're not. They're not the greatest looking keyboards. I don't care. It works. It's responsive. My fingers know exactly where it's supposed to be on that keyboard. Yep. It, it, it's 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 a brilliant design. Apple was always known for really good keyboards. Yeah. Now, absolutely. Yeah. I, I I'm completely off with you. And you know what? I'm in, I'm certainly in position. I would until that keyboard design changes. And I mean, completely changes. I wouldn't buy a Mac laptop. No, me, neither would I. Absolutely I, would not. And and, and that's saying something. Yeah. So you know that means that those of us who are, who are like this, we're stuck using old secondhand or or really aged hardware. You know. But you know what? The the reality of that is when you look into it, is you find that the old machines they work. A little bit slower than new ones, but you know what? They still work. They yep. still do everything. That, there's nothing you can do with a, a, a today's MacBook Pro that you can't do with a MacBook Pro from four years ago. It's just that it will be slower, and it may have a crappier screen. But you know what? I'll trade. I'm look. I'm on a 11 uh, inch Air right here, and I love this thing. Yeah, I lo- I've always loved the small form factors. You yep. know, I'd be a natural candidate for the Apple MacBook, except you would. I don't. I don't want a keyboard. Yeah, and, oh, not only that as well, the Apple MacBook is actually slower than the MacBook Air I have here from uh, eight years ago, but that's five years ago, let's be fair. Uh, but that's kind of by the by. But the point is, the only thing, the only downside on this computer I have here in front of me um, over the uh, Apple MacBook uh, is the screen. It's the quality because it doesn't have a retina screen. It's got the old, you know, low-res screen on it. But for everything else, it's superior to the machine that Apple have been selling for the last three years to supposedly replace this. So you, yeah, you posted an article Uh uh, about the Boeing 737. I I did. This has been all over the news. I've been following it peripherally. Um, I just don't know enough about aircraft, to be honest. But from everything I've read, it really does look like... uh, Boeing is kind of screwed here. Uh, I, I completely this is a flawed, agree. This is a flawed aircraft. They've got fully qualified pilots who, uh, and, and passengers who were killed because of really, uh, from outward looking in. And again, I don't know enough about the industry to make an informed decision, just uh, an uninformed one. But it looks like they rushed a product out with improper training. Uh, so, some some serious yeah. flaws and in it doesn't look good. So I I saw a, a kind of a half hour in depth look at this recently. So I'll, I'll recount what I understand about this, and I I know the air industry a little bit more, so I kind of understand what's going on here. So the seven three seven Max was designed to compete with a new plane from Airbus, okay, and Boeing had planned to replace the 737, which is even, you know, the the 737 was originally launched in the 70s, and it's been constantly updated and refined, yeah? And they needed a a two-engine aircraft with a single aisle, so basically three seats on either side, for these, like, um, short to medium-range routes, yeah, that was fuel-efficient. And to to be fuel-efficient, it needs a particular type of engine on it that the 737 MAX has and the A320 already has. The problem is the 737 is quite a low aircraft and these engines are big. And so to fit them under the wing, 
yeah, Boeing was going to scrap the 737 and basically develop a new mach- new machine. But then Airbus came out and they managed to get the these engines onto the wings of the resisting airframe. So Boeing was stuck with no competitor. So they 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 said right instead of developing new aircraft from scratch, let's adapt it to the 737. But because the engines are bigger and the Boeing has a low wing, yeah, they've had to kind of mount the engines forward and up a bit to fit them under the wing. And the problem with that is that in certain conditions, yeah, when the when the uh, what's called the angle of attack, so the nose of the plane is quite high, yeah, you could get into a into a the beginnings of a stall situation with these wings, uh, with the en- with these big engines on the wings. So to counteract that, Boeing designed this system called MCAS, which is effectively designed to detect when the plane is starting to get into that dangerous situation and automatically correct it by trimming the nose down, by uh, operating some little levers on the back of the back of the plane to push the nose down. Now, the problem is, is that the way it's, it was originally designed, and the reason that none of the pilots knew about this is to also get the 737 MAX out to their customers uh, cheaply enough they had to be able to say if you've got a pilot who's already trained on the earlier 737 they can fly this without having to go through a whole load of new training even though it had a totally different safety system to correct yeah, the problem basically, they're not they, aware they, of it they, they weren't aware of it because the the require apparently one of the big costs of buying a new aircraft is not the physical hardware it's the training for the pilots and so to be able to offer this aircraft Boeing effectively said, "There's no way we can we we can't make it different enough that the pilots need retraining um, because nobody will buy it." So they had to basically say, "Right, it needs to be um, effectively pilots get rated with a very quick conversion course." And because of that, that meant that they decided that there was no good telling pilots about this system. And you know what? They said it doesn't matter because all this is going to do is save some pilots, but. When uh, when they get themselves into difficulty, they'll never even know it's there, right? This is a this is an emergency system for use when when the plane is is being flown towards the edge of the envelope. The difficulty is is that actually the sensors that allow this system to work are in the nose, and they only connected this system to one of the sensors. And the, uh, what happened with the uh, the Philippines crash is the sensor it's connected to was faulty, and rather than seeing that they've got two of these sensors, rather than seeing that one sensor was showing one reading and one was showing the other and correlating that and saying there's a problem here yeah the, the system just basically said well I, i'm not i don't care what the other sensor says i'm using this one and then what happened is the plane took off the sensor said that the nose was too high even though it wasn't and so the uh, the mcas system said nose is too high push it down and because the pilots didn't know about this system yeah they didn't know what was pushing the nose of the plane down and so they couldn't turn it off uh, and effectively, what happened is the plane got into an uncontrollable nosedive and crashed. Okay. Now, Boeing, after the report of that came out, Boeing had a change going through to try and improve this system, uh, basically connect it to both the sensors at once, and also um, to try and identify when these two things were failing. But they haven't been able to push that system through yet, partially because the government shut down and the FAA, FAA weren't available to sign it off. Right. And so now it's happened again. But what's come out recently is that apparently the pilots in this latest crash knew about this MCAS system because of all the uh, publicity and they knew how to turn it off. So when the nose started going down, they turned it off. There's a procedure you had to follow and they regained control. And then about 20 seconds later, it turned itself back on again. And they were still left in a position where they were fighting the plane until the plane eventually flew into the ground. And there is no way that this is not Boeing's fault. And it's it's a combination of some engineering decisions deciding you need a software fix uh, and then not telling people about it and also not recognising that your software fix is flawed and the worst thing you can have in a plane is having a plane doing things which the pilot doesn't understand why it's doing them and it can't and can't turn them off. Yep. Just in the same way that there's this controversy over Tesla and autopilot and how some apparently in some conditions it's steering itself into walls and, and Tesla are going, well, you know, the, the guy behind the wheel is meant to be in control. It's like, well, you know what, if you're behind the wheel of, of a car that's mostly self-driving and all of a sudden it veers into a wall, you can't blame the driver. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Planes should not dive themselves into the ground, and cars should not steer themselves into walls. And if you put in a system that's capable of doing that, that's on you. It's not on the driver or the pilot. Yeah, yeah. And it's when it comes to the self-driving, 
um, GM, Ford, and Toyota are creating a consortium to kind of come up with uh, a system for shared data and some shared technologies to kind of make it so all the cars are kind of on the same page rather than each company developing their own self-driving technology, especially smaller companies like Tesla. Um, So you're basically not going to have these problems. I think airlines might benefit from some of that as well. Um, But the terrible thing about this situation is that, yeah, this this was a, a fault that was identified with the last crash, and yet it's been allowed to happen again, and you've got another few hundred people dead. You know what? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the reality is, is it was people in the Philippines, it was people in Ethiopia. So over in the, here in the West, a lot of people won't care. Boeing will probably just try to pay some people off and hope it goes away. Um, yeah, if that, this would have happened, if yeah, this would have happened out of an aircraft coming out of Heathrow or LaGuardia and it crashed in <laughs> a big city. If oh two, boy. yeah. If one, if one crashed, if one came out of Atlanta and crashed, and then within six to eight months, one crashed in London or in uh, Toronto or anywhere else, you can guarantee there'd be some stink. Oh my God, there'd be hearings, and there would be, it, it would be all over the place. Yeah, I think there should be hearings. I think that the people from Boeing should be in front of well, Boeing. If it happened in the West, Boeing would have been out of business in sixty days. Yeah, well, you know what? Boeing may well be out of business as a result of this anyway. And they deserve you know, to be. This is going to have legs. And the problem is they really need needed this aircraft to succeed because actually these smaller aircraft are the bulk of their business. Uh, yeah. And they've, they've sold a ton of them. And at the moment, none of them are flying. And uh, you know what? I can't see anybody buying them again. So um, Boeing could really be in trouble now. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, and if you're an airline, are you going to trust the next Boeing product? Exactly. That's that's you know? exactly the problem. Yeah, Airbus is looking awful good to a lot of people right now. Well, you know what, Airbus Airbus has also had its problems with with um, software control in the past. The yep. first fly-by-wire aircraft they developed um, was doing a demonstration. It happily crashed into a forest and killed seven people, um, and that was because the pilot said that it was doing things that uncommanded. The the problem is these software assistance systems are really complicated, and you really have to test them well. And even then, something can go wrong. These but you know these machines are incredibly complex, and to try and accommodate all of these protect scenarios, you know. I, it's not, it's not often you agree with something Donald Trump says, but when he goes, you know what, these planes are getting a bit complicated, maybe this should be a bit simpler. You can kind of, uh, you know, you can kind of see where he's coming from on that one. A little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, only a bit. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I want to get to the next one. Let's, let's hold it. No, I, I, I agree. It's, not, it's nothing we've not said before. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about our sponsor OWC. They have uh, essentially the same machine I've got, a late 2013 uh, iMac. This is $989. This is a great deal. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at it going, wow, this is better tempted? than what I've got. Yeah, <laughs> 16 megs of RAM, 256 SSD. Um, mint condition. If you're looking for a desktop Mac, there you go. Go well, to OWC. This is the this, this is the same argument I just made to you about that that MacBook Air. You can yeah. buy a new iMac. They just upgraded this for the same sort of money, and it will come with a. It won't even come with a Fusion drive. It'll come with a spinning hard drive in it. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, or, just, or, uh. Yeah. Or you can spend the same money on a used machine. Less money. And, not, yeah. not the same. Less money. Less money. And you'll get something with a fast SSD in it. And yeah, you won't have the 5K screen. But you know what? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you can get used to whatever you look at. Retina is nice. It really is. Don't get me wrong. But the point is is that really what you want from a computer is performance. Yep. Uh, and what you don't want is compromised computers because they've saved a few few bucks. Yep. So here you go, folks. Need a new iMac? Go to OWC and pick one up there. Seriously. Yeah. And, they're, and they're, it's a good deal. Yeah. And also, the keyboard won't break on that because you can use your own. Yes. <laughs> I'm using my own keyboard. What is this thing? Oh, it's a Macaulay. It's a black keyboard and then it, it, the keys light up. I really like it. It's good. 
I'll tell you, one of the best things I've bought in a long time is one of those the, the, those 60% mechanical keyboards with the lights underneath. Uh-huh. Yeah. They are... Oh, they're very sweet. Very, very sweet. They're so nice to type on. Uh, you know, the lights, you can do with them whatever you want. You can just have them on. You can have them off. You can have them colour and rainbow. There's even sexy little modes where when you press a key you get like a splash of light going across the keyboard from the key you spread uh, you, from the key you pressed it's it's all really cool stuff and you know what, they're really quite cheap they're only $50-60 I had one of those but unfortunately it was a PC keyboard and I got tired of having to go in and remap keys so well, yeah, but this McCallie one is just a, a Mac yeah. keyboard it just works perfectly I don't have to do a darn yeah. thing to it it costs 100 bucks, but still yeah. Yeah, but the the thing with those those um, mechanical keyboards, the one I've got is called the An Pro Two, I think. Is uh-huh. that it come with the come with a key puller? You can change the keys whenever you want, so you can actually pull the keys off and make it into a Mac keyboard if you wanted to. You, you can well, buy the keys. Yeah, but that doesn't change the the way the Mac sees that keyboard. It still doesn't recognize it as an actual Mac keyboard. No, like, it, for instance, it doesn't. The you can, you, key and the Apple, yeah, and that, they have they have. That's what I'm talking about. You remap all that. Right, but that's that's kind of my point. I I've done that, and I did that for a number of years, and I just got tired of it. You know, there would be some kind of update, and it would screw it all up, and I'd have to go back in. And I had third-party software that would allow me to use the function key. I just got tired of it. So, oh yeah, an actual Mac keyboard from Mac Cali, and it I I don't got time to be screwing around. I I sit down, it was an update, and all of a sudden my keyboard's not right. Oh great! So the next twenty minutes is going to be dedicated to fixing this. I just don't have the inclination to do that anymore. At one point, yes, but I'm almost yeah. 50 years old, and I don't want to be dealing with this. I just want it to work. I want to be able to see it in the dark. Um, I yeah. want to be able to uh, enjoy the feel of the keyboard, and I really like this keyboard. It, I took a chance. I didn't use one. It wasn't a review copy. I actually bought it. Um, it, it just works, and that's what I wanted, I and I'm happy with it. Yeah, plug and play definitely has advantages. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, jump into our wiki trolling section. Um, like I said, this came up completely random. Just, just hold on a second. Somebody's just come to the door, so I'm just going to deal with that and then come back. Sure. So while we wait for uh, David to deal with uh, whatever that is, uh, I will say that the uh, here's the ironic part about. This subject. Um, a couple days ago, I was watching something, and and I saw in this movie the guy who played, um, and I don't remember his name, but it doesn't matter, who played Han Solo in the Solo movie. And I personally, the Solo movie was okay, um, but I, the, my problem was that character. I just didn't buy him as Harrison Ford. Uh, he just didn't have the same kind of uh, darkness just underneath the surface that you got with Harrison Ford's um, Han Solo. So I actually went back and watched Solo again just a couple days ago. I actually didn't finish it. I've got like 20 minutes left. Um, but why, when why it, was that, though? Was it because you couldn't, you couldn't hack it or because uh, you just ran no, out of time? No, I ran out of time. I got tired. Yeah. I went to bed. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, I'm I'm almost done watching that movie again, and uh, so when I hit Wikipedia and just a random article to see, usually random articles give me junk. It's not something we're going to talk about, but this time it gave me something good: Millennium Falcon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, the Millennium Falcon is a fictional starship in the Star Wars franchise. The modified YT-1300 Carillion light fighter is primarily commanded by Carillion smuggler Han Solo, Harrison Ford, which isn't, it's not just Harrison anymore, and its first Wookiee mate, Chewbacca. And designed by the Carillion Engineering Corporation, CEC, the highly modified YT-1300 is durable, modular, and is slated as being the second fastest vehicle in the Star Wars canon. What's the fastest, then? Yeah, that's what I was wondering, is what's the fastest? I don't know what the... What's what's fastest in the Falcon? Yeah? I I kind of want to know. You know, know, one thing that always bothered me about the Falcon is that um, when, in the first movie, they kind of said, oh, you came here in that hunk of junk and all that sort of thing, and I looked at it in in the movie and I thought, that looks really cool, doesn't look like junk at all. You well, know? yeah, but no. Think about it. When you first see, okay, oh no, that's not it. 
The first time you see it, though, it isn't. Now, see, this one says a Millennium Falcon on Screen Rant. I don't know what, what's the fast, there's a whole bunch of them. I don't know. Um, you think that silver thing in, um, in, uh, you know, the silver thing they escaped from, uh, they escaped to uh, Tatooine in, in the, in the first prequel movie. Is that meant to be faster? I don't know. You know, I'm reading it, but everything I just did, it said fastest Star Wars ship on a Google, and everything is, say, a Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say it's a Falcon. That, that's exactly what, um, that's exactly what uh, Han Solo always said. So. Oh, okay. But, but, but because he was prone to hyperbole, perhaps uh, that's why they, they, they reckon it isn't. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to find this, but um, hmm. The carrying. Okay, here it goes. Well, no, it's just an Imperial Navy. Uh, hyperdrives were rated by class. The lower the class, the faster the engine. With this class one hyperdrive, the carrying spike was the fastest ship in the Imperial Navy. I don't. I don't think the hyperdrive counts, though. No, yeah, because I, they I, all I, go I would fast. thought the whole. Yeah, they all go fast, but I, I mean, once you're in light speed, it. I mean, all you do is go point to point in light speed. I didn't think the hyperdrive counted no. because surely, surely, no matter what modifications you make to it in a small freighter, you're never going to be faster than, than something like a, a star destroyer or something like that, where you've basically got all that engineering space. Well, yeah, but surely the whole, the whole but, point about the Falcon was it was it was the modifications they made to do it when it wasn't in hyperspace was what made it fast. Right? Yeah, maneuverable, fast. Yeah. It's hard to shoot. Well, let's face it, in, in in Empire, you know, I mean, it's outrunning a whole Star Destroyer fleet. And even the TIE Fighters can't really keep up with it. Right, exactly. Yeah, So that, that's, that, that, to me, that's the fastest. That's that's where the speed comes from. There's nothing to do with what the hyperdrive can do. Right, it was super maneuverable. I mean, it turns on almost on a dime. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, you can't count the hyperspeed because... Number one, up until the last movie, which ugh, um, where they're chasing them through hyperspace, uh, they yeah. ne- they didn't fight when they're hi- if they got into hyperspace, they're safe. No, yeah, it, it was like yeah, it was like it, you were just gone. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever met up in hyperspace, or you can't dogfight in, in yeah, hyperspace. You you couldn't. Yeah, you're right. And t- until that plot point in the last movie, you couldn't even follow somebody in hyperspace. Right. So yeah, it was like a get out of jail free card. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. I'm going to say the high, I'm going to say the Falcons the fastest. Yep. Um, so screw you, Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't care what you say. Well, it's Wikipedia. I'm going to change it. Uh, the ship originally had more elegated appearance, uh, but this design similarity to the Eagle transporters in Space 1999 prompted Lucas to change the Falcons' design. The original model was modified, rescaled, and used as Princess Leia's ship uh, Tantive. Four, which is yeah. um, the blockade runner. Yeah. Uh, model maker John Johnson, so this is who you really want to credit with the Falcon, had about four weeks to redesign the Falcon, and Lucas's only suggestion to Johnson was think of a flying saucer. Johnson did not want to produce a basic flying saucer, so he created the offset cockpit, forward cargo mandibles, and a rear slot for the engine. The design was simple enough to create in the four-week window. Johnson called production of the new Falcon design one of his most intense projects. That's the thing. It is a really simple design, and I think that's why it works so well. When you see some of these ships in other movies, and they're just so elaborately designed, and they look cool, but it it loses something. When they're over-engineered, yeah, you don't relate to it. The Falcon is a big circle with two things sticking out the end of it which is clearly yeah. forward, the way the engines yeah. are shaped, and then the cockpit sitting off to the side. It yeah, looks right. like that, a functional ship. And, and the dish on the top. You know, you know, which and, changes and all and the time. I, yeah, but but I think I think the th- what really made the Falcon so great is that when it was flying, because it is a disc, yeah, it does all that kind of, you know, the twisting, the turning and all of that. Very graceful. It, 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 yeah, but it, it, it looks... It looks like it's being. It looks fast even when it's almost when it's not moving. Yes, because the because you know because it every every turn it takes every change of direction it makes um, kind of looks like an event. It looks like it's 
uh, really kind of uh, it, it's, it's like a sports car yes. you know it's like a sports car going around the corner a, a, a good sports car not I'm not and I'm not talking about you know with its back end hanging out and smoke coming out from the tires it looks like it just looks fast when it's moving yeah even now, if it's not moving fast. now the falcon was um orig- heavily modified usually uh well the reason they did it originally is because initially the hyperdrive system had the self-correcting thing where it would nose dive a little bit mm-hmm but Han Solo and Chewbacca he fixed modified that. It. So they modified yeah, it. Yeah, they disabled that. They disabled yeah. that. Originally, it was connected to one sensor on the forward mandible. <laughs> then they connected both of them, and it still didn't really correct the problem because the Falcon didn't know which one to believe, so it just believed it. Yeah, I, be- I, be- I believe that the lawsuit that was filed against the... Um, the Corellian... <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the Corellian Corporation has been going on for a long, long time, quite far away. Yeah. <laughs> a long time ago, too. Yeah. Uh, you'd think Boeing would have learned by the... Anyways. Uh, <laughs> the sound of the ship's <laughs> track... Maybe maybe that's what the pilots of the uh, of the seven two seven Max have to do. Yes. It's basically when it starts going down, they have to pound on the instrument. Yeah, you got to get a hairy guy to pound on up above. Yeah, <laughs> that usually works. Uh, the sound of the ship traveling through height. By the way, we probably lost twenty view, uh, listeners right there. Like, I'm never listening to this again. Black, you know what? Black humor is the way only way to deal with tragedy. Yeah. The sound of the ship traveling through hyperspace comes from two tracks of the engine noise of a McDonnell Douglas DC nine with one track slightly out of synchronization with the other to introduce the phasing effect. Uh, to this, sound designer Brett Burt, or Ben Burt, by the way, he's one of the very best of all time, added the additional hum of the cooling fans on the motion control rig at Industrial Light and Magic. Um, yeah, there's been a couple. I mean, they've they've rebuilt this thing a number of times. Um, it's still the Falcon, though. When you When you see it on screen, you know, that's the Falcon. And you know it. And it's, 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 I think it's iconic at this point, don't you? I mean, the Manila oh, yeah. Falcon is an iconic looking ship. Oh, pretty much everything. No, the, I, I think the, the thing is everything from Star Wars, the ships have, have become iconic, certainly from the original series. Um, because we're all so familiar with them because, you know, pretty much everybody our age has, it, has seen those movies countless times. You recognize the ships, you know, you recognise, and and you kind of they've become a, sh- a, a a shortcut for what those things represent. If you see a big triangle-looking ship, you're going to think it's a big bad evil ship. Yeah. You know, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna see see a disc-shaped uh, sh- uh, a disc-shaped ship, that's hard to say, that kind of tilts over on its side, it's moving around. You know that that's probably you know a fast smuggling ship. You, you you know the tie fighter the noises that the tie fighter makes and and, and you, you know you talk about ben burt being one of the best in the business part of the success part of what pulls all of that off is the sound effects they've they've added to those models as they move that makes them instantly audio, audio distinguishable from each other you can hear the millennium falcon pit take off without seeing it and you know what it is you can hear a tie fighter coming and you know what it is you know, and the, and the fact that they they kind of did all of that, it made that. And, and this, I think, this was one of the successes of Star Wars is that rather than building pristine new ships like Star Trek, you know, that look like they just come off the assembly line, everything looked kind of battered and used, and and made real sounding noises, and it, it made the whole environment come to life. Yeah. Yeah, it, and the it, the Falcon, the Falcon in particular, because it's all covered in in the in the they call them the greeblies, the stuff they stuck on to kind yes. of. you know the Batmobiles on the last one. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, they put they put their stuff on to make make it look like it was it was a working vessel, so it had pipes and bits stuck onto it and everything. And and basically, the way they did that is they cut up plastic models and they just stuck the bits out of the models like onto. Various things. They didn't really have a function. They just kind of shoved them on there. Yeah. Uh, I, I like nowadays, Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure nowadays somebody has written a book that, that looks at every single Greebling and gives it a, a, a proper function. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, <laughs> and I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, I do like that in the solo movie, uh, L337 is, the robot is killed, if you will. But they use 
basically her brain, I guess, her processor, and they integrate it into the Falcon, which I don't think they really meant to make this a callback, but in, I think it was the original Star Wars, um, 3PO is talking to the Falcon. No, it's an Empire. Talking to the Falcon, yeah. and uh, 3PO says, your ship has a very particular dialogue. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, little callbacks like that, even when they're not meant to be a callback, because I, I don't think it was. But fans picked up on it and was like, oh, that's why the well, 3PO said way back then that yeah. I like stuff like that, you know. But I'm a geek by heart, so what the hell. So the Millennium Falcon, I, I, you know, if I don't have any toys per se uh, displayed, it's not my thing. But if I was going to have one model, if you will, on display in my office, it would definitely be the Falcon. Maybe an Imperial Star Destroyer, but... Mm. I have one that's um, a Bluetooth speaker. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. And you press when you press the uh, press one of the sh- the solar panels on the back, then it, it plays the Star Wars theme. Yeah, I'd rather if it played the uh, Falcon noise. Yeah. That it's you know it's not just the Falcon's visual appeal, like you said. It's also the sound. Um, it looks like it's used. It wasn't a shiny, you know, set piece. Um, it, it was dirty. It had blaster burns. It had a personality of its own. Um, and, and I think as kids growing up in the seventies, that ship for us was it. I mean, you don't, the first time you see that ship and flying and you just love it. You can't help it. You yeah, just love it. It's, it. It looked like a hot rod pickup truck yeah. version of a spaceship. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool. It looked like something we could actually fly. There's a, there's a TV commercial. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's for, I don't know what it's for, but, um, this guy gives this woman gifts and stuff. And then it's his turn to get a gift. And he goes outside and sitting in the street is a millennium Falcon. <laughs> and he jumps in and flies it away. Um, I thought that was it's it's a it's really good. Yeah, uh, Millennium Falcon. I can't spell today. Um, I was hoping that there would be a link to it because I think you would like this commercial as well. But I'll find it and I'll send it to you, and then you can shoot that dog. Somebody's just rung the doorbell again. I think I think there's there's a guy come to fit a water meter, so I suspect that's what it is. Yeah. So I guess that's my cue to finish the show. Yep, that is the cue, and I will see you next week, David. See you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.